lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for being with us today, listeners. We've got a really interesting show. We've got Shai Tubali, and he's a happiness history expert. Definitely what the world needs today. He's got numerous books that have appeared internationally for the past two decades in 11 languages. He's been published by major publishers. His most prominent writings have won awards in the United States and in Israel. Several have become bestsellers. Inspiring, inspiring many thousands on their inner journeys of mental, emotional, and spiritual transformation. He's a PhD researcher at the University of Leeds in the UK, and Tubali explores 35 meditation techniques from all over the world in his newest book. And that's a complete book of meditation coming in January 2023. So it's maybe out there already. Sometimes those dates don't hold exactly. But I'm, I'm sure this one will be there very soon, if not already. With postgraduate exper- expertise in science fiction film and pop culture, Tubli shares common principles that can help modern humans struggling with trauma, fear, uncertainty, depression, anxiety, and screen addiction. There's a lot of different modalities and research on finding calm and clarity on his website. And at the end of the show, we'll share that site with you. So, Shai, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. You know, and I said in the intro, and I mean this, I think mm-hmm. that the globally we're going through some particularly trying times it seems like things never we never get ahead my heart goes out to all the people that that have experienced the, the earthquake in turkey and and there's just so much that's always going on the ukraine and russia and one of the yes. things that i've seen with people coming to the brain performance center is they've lost their happiness they've they've when i ask what brings joy what puts joy in your life? I get just a, a blank scare, stare. Mm. And, it, you know, tell us a little bit about your work with happiness. Well, it depends on uh, on uh, which angle we would like to, to, to focus on, because on the one hand, I, I think I, my work is an intriguing blend of, uh, of academic research in philosophy uh, on the one hand, and uh, and self-transformation on the other hand. So, in my academic research, what uh, what I have done is is to grasp the sources of uh, or the 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 um, the perception or conception of happiness in ancient cultures of philosophy, including ancient Greek philosophy and ancient Indian philosophy so and i think that that this this uh, of course relates uh, to to the other uh, field of of expertise which is self transformation because what these traditions tell us about happiness actually i think has remained relevant uh, even after 2500 years so what they tell us is that is that Happiness is something that 
belongs or, or that refers to our natural state. It's a natural state of the mind. It's not something that you achieve. You do, it's not something that you conquer. And I think that, that nowadays happiness has become a commodity or, or a destination. You see, we're trying so much to achieve it, whereas meditation tells us this is not the right direction. You are looking in the wrong direction. The right direction is deep within you, right, right here, right now. As soon as you stop making the effort of becoming somebody, as soon as you stop trying to reach somewhere, you are beginning to remove these obscurations that prevent you from seeing who you are right now. So happiness, uh, also in, in, in the ancient understanding, the context of ancient understanding is that it is something that you, that you, uh, you only need to, uh, to be able to remove the obscurations rather than uh, create or bring about. Well, that you, I certainly appreciate what you're saying is that, you know, and, and I say it in a different way, but happiness comes from within. Mm. It's instead of looking at something that we can create, an event, a situation, it all has to come from within. Yes, yes, exactly. It, because our mind is the source of suffering. This is this is the, the, the ancient perception. Our mind is the source of suffering. The, the mind creates its own suffering, its own entanglements. And therefore, the mind is also the only... Uh, the only element that can liberate us, that can bring the suffering to an end. Well, for those people that, and there are a lot of people that do suffer from depression or anxiety, and it's what I call emotional dysregulation. And yes. they, many times they struggled with it their whole life because, you know, genetics plays a role in how that brain works uh, hmm. on your mental health, just like it does on your physical health. But for people that have been through trauma, and I don't wish it on anybody shy, but I think everybody's experienced it. I think it's part of life. So for those that have, they've been through trauma and they're still experiencing stress from that trauma, how, what would be the first step for someone to reach out and to try to create that calm, that peace that will allow them to move forward. Yeah, th this is a wonderful point, Lee, because I think that uh, that uh, uh, starting to to perceive meditation as one of the keys to uh, to healing traumas uh, is an important step. Because the thing the thing with with meditation is that the first um, benefit or the first purpose of meditation is to heal our existential tension. You see, we, we are, uh, we are experience, uh, experiencing an extreme form of existential tension. And this is because we constantly expect life to be able to provide us with this sense of, of stability, 
with this sense of security. This is exactly what uh, uh, I would say what, what, what trauma is all about. It is when life is, is shaken to, to a degree that we, that we feel that we can no longer trust life, circumstances or people. For instance, we, we, we know just now that, uh, that the, the earth can literally uh, shake and, uh, and lead to, to such disasters as we are seeing right now. So then we have this kind of expectation that life will provide us with this haven, that life will finally become a secure or a stable or a solid ground. But then meditation tells you, no, this is actually the other way around. You are meant to create your own stability, your own inner stability. A certain place in you, 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 uh, you need to tap into a certain place in you where you are unaffected by time, circumstances, change and upheaval. And this is, I think, the, the healing factor of meditation because you are actually able to get in touch with a place that has never been affected or shaped by circumstances, not even by your greatest traumas. Well, you know, I think a lot of people want that, but I think that that's when that fear element comes into play. Mm. And with a lot of uh, people that I work with, they're stuck in that fight, flight, or fear mode. Mm. That autonomic nervous system is just thrown out of balance. And that window of tolerance to keep it in balance is very small. It doesn't take much to throw it out. And sometimes when you're bouncing back and forth between fight, flight, or fear, it can be paralyzing. Yes, and, and uh, I'm also not saying that, uh, that we should discard therapy altogether and, uh, and just focus on meditation as the, as the one key, because I agree, for, for many of us, there, there, are, there is this uh, deeply engraved fear that hinders our ability to, to actually let go and sink into a meditative state. But this is why I think we, we first of all, we have certain types of, uh, of meditation uh, which belong to the category of dynamic meditations. And in dynamic meditations, we are able to, uh, to literally uh, shake uh, away the, these, uh, these uh, physical imprints, this these, uh, uh, stagnation, because we do not necessarily need to immediately enter into silent, closed-eyed medita closed meditation. We can actually uh, begin by, by dancing or, or moving in certain ways that enable us to, to release these immediate tensions. Well, I do know the brain needs to move. The brain loves to move. So when you said dancing, that just, I'm like, absolutely. Mm. Or taking a walk, enjoying the feel of the sun on your shoulders. It certainly puts my brain 
in a calmer spot. It certainly opens my heart to what's going on, the energy around me. Yes, so, so you're already describing an act of mindfulness because you are beginning to, to not just um, have some pleasurable moments, but also imbue these pleasurable moments with, with a sense of presence. Because this is the, the factor that, that expands our pleasurable moments and, make us, uh, um, and makes us uh, conscious of all that is happening in, around. So this begins to connect us with the present moment. And the present moment is, is already a form of healing because it shows us that we can, at least to a certain degree, from time to time, be completely grounded in the present without the effects of the past. We don't always need to carry the past on our, on our shoulders. No, we don't. But so many of us hold on to the past. And, that, and I really believe it's because they don't know how to let it go. Or they're, they're, it's been so ingrained in their mental DNA for so long that it's just, it's their default mode. So for people out there that have, have something in their past that they need to let go of, and personally, I think that's just about everybody. <laughs> and the first step, if they can become more in touch with themselves, it sounds like that will give them the security, the inner security that they need to start to move forward. And it's, it sounds really easy, but it's not quite that easy for a lot of people. Coach us on that. Well, I think that, that that's why we, we have been given so many uh, different forms of meditation, because for each of us, uh, uh, a certain... Uh, certain forms of meditation are more immediate keys to to this to this state of relaxation or or to uh, being able to remove this type of of resistance. But if you're asking me to to coach to coach us on on this, well, I would say that that the the first thing before we are even attempting to uh, to involve ourselves with a certain form of meditation technique before we are entering the technicalities of meditation, it is simply better or it, it, it is wise to simply sit for a while, dedicate some time alone, resolving to be with myself to develop intimacy with myself and then making a certain intention, a certain heart declaration. This means that uh, because the greatest hindrance, hindrance to meditation is the fact that we are finding it very hard to not bring the world with us, you see? The world, our problems we keep, we, we try to close our eyes and to relax, but then our mind is completely occupied with the many yesterdays, with the, with the future, with trying to arrange our calendar. So instead of all, of all that, we need to make a certain intention that 
we don't have to be the world's manager right now. Just as we are going to sleep every night and when we are going to sleep, unless we have some sleep disorders, we are able to leave the world behind for some time. We leave our problems unresolved. So in the very same way, we are telling ourselves, now I am ready to leave the world behind, to leave my problems unresolved for some time, and to stop being the, world, the world's manager. So this immediately redirects my attention. And then all I need to do for some time is to not to do anything, you see? It's just about it's just about not focusing on anything in particular, not trying to reach somewhere for some time, not be the doer, neither externally nor internally. That's hard to do, you know. We're because we're told that we're we need to take charge. We're in control of our future. We need to make things happen for us. And that's the way that we're programmed. We need to achieve. We need, and what I hear you say is you just have to let it be. Just sit down and step away from everything that's going on around you and let it be. Yes, because, because I think one of the first things that, that, uh, that happens to us in, uh, that happened to us in meditation is that we begin to realize how our mind is creating its misery. And its misery is created by constantly trying to, to control everything exactly as you're saying right now. So we're trying so hard, and now we can become aware of, of the way the mind can never really let go. Now, why can't the mind let go? This is the beginning of, of a certain internal investigation. I'm, I'm starting to become intimate with myself and to study the way the mind is. So meditation is not just about relaxation, about letting go, but also trying to observe the causes or the reasons that I cannot let go. This is one of the things uh, that we need to understand about meditation, that sometimes people just want to relax when they meditate, and then they complain that they couldn't. So when, when they fail to relax, they drop meditation, they say, this is not for me. But this is a misunderstanding, because a part of the process of meditation is is understanding why we cannot meditate. This is a part of the process. My difficulties, my blockages, my resistances, this is a time of learning. It's a big time of learning. And it's it's self-reflection. And I hear a lot of people say that, you know, when they change their energy, that other people in their family pick up on that energy change and they don't know how to respond to it. They don't know exactly why the energy's changed. And sometimes we'll assume it's because something that we did that upset them. Or we always want to blame ourselves. When we, when we have nobody else to blame, we always have ourselves to blame. Hmm. And for those people 
that have a hard time with that self-focus. That's because we've been taught that we need to care about other people. We need to think about other people. And it really sounds like it takes a high level of self-awareness and self-focus to get into that meditative state. Hmm. Yes, well, we always feel that we need to relate and that our existence also depends on, on relationships. I think this is a part of, of our, our problem, this sense of, of dependency on the existence of others, on others' confirmation. Uh, it's as if we need someone to confirm our own existence. And this is, I think, a, a major thing because, because when you are able to, to, to meditate, meditate even a little bit, this is a, a, a huge moment for you because it's, it's a, the first time that you are beginning to confirm your own existence. You are telling yourself, it is enough that I exist. I don't need to prove something to anyone. I don't need to become, I, I don't need to perceive myself through my self-image. I think that's, that's, that's a, a source of tremendous freedom. I think it is too. And, and that for me personally, that links into my spiritual self, the higher power of the, in the universe. And, mm. and I'm not sure that every, it does for everybody, but it, it does for me. Do you find the line between spirituality and meditation, they, there's some overlap? I'm not sure what, what you're asking. Well, what I'm asking is when people get into that meditative state, do they yes. report being in a, in a more of a spiritual state? Well, of, yes, definitely. It all depends on, on how we do define spirituality. Because for me, spirituality simply means resting in your natural state, in the natural state of your mind, in the uh, being connected with your being rather than sense of becoming. It's, uh, so this is, this is at least the beginning of spirituality. spirituality. Spirituality also means expanding your consciousness, widening your consciousness. So, of course, uh, there are, this involves many different types of expanded states of consciousness, but the principle is, is always the same. It's the sense that you are bigger than your body, you are bigger than your personality, than your uh, present personality, you are bigger than your conditioning, you are bigger than your history, your past, your traumas. There is something in you that, that escapes these influences and uh, that has remained free since the very beginning. Oh, that actually makes a lot of sense when you put it in that perspective, because you have to go to find that inner peace. Sometimes we have to go back to the very beginning. We've got about five minutes left before we mm. take a break. And in your book, you must have done a tremendous amount of research because you talk about <laughs> 35 different meditation techniques from all over the world. And I'm sure how someone would approach meditation in the United States might be very different than how they would approach it in India. And is there a common theme that you see 
throughout those 35 techniques, regardless of the culture that they evolve from? I would say that, uh, first of all, th this is a very important point since, uh, since it is true, uh, especially in the West, we are mainly focusing on what, what we consider benefits, the benefits of meditation. For example, that, that it, it, uh, it improves our memory, it improves our sleep and so on and so on. And, uh, but in the, in the Eastern philosophy and practice, meditation is uh, considered uh, or valued for its purposes. So there is a, an important distinction between benefits and purposes. Now, we have meditations that, that, uh, uh, that range from uh, forms of prayer, especially in the monothe monotheistic religions, and, and silent sitting. And what I would say is that the, the common ground, what makes meditation a meditative practice or a meditative experience, is the fact that that it steals your mind, it steals your senses, it steals your intellect in order to reveal a deeper reality about yourself or about life. Now, the range of experiences and revelations is tremendous. Yeah, this meditation may widen your heart, may lead you to the discovery of unconditional love. Meditation can lead you to tremendous visions and meditation can also lead you to silence. So, so there is a tremendous range of possibilities. And I think this is exactly the indication that our inner being is, is endless. We can travel and travel within ourselves and never find the edge. Well, when you, you know, you talk about inner being, to me, that links directly into consciousness and subconsciousness. And there's a, a lot of different ways that people can approach that. I believe that trauma lives as much in our subconscious as it does in our conscious level. And it, most people tend to agree to that in that, that it'll work its way up. And then it'll work, you know, we'll say, oh, I can't deal with that right down and we'll push it back down. So I think there's a lot that we really need to think about as, you know, when we, we talk about the expanded states of consciousness. And because as I think we both have agreed, that's your that is your inner health. And that's and I you I've saw in somewhere maybe on your website, you use the words life force. And that's. That makes me feel like that's a driving, that's an intensity. And sometimes that's hmm. what it takes to be able to transition and move to that spot where you've wanted to go. You've wanted to go for so long, but it's just been difficult to, to really take the next step forward. We're going to take a break, and I hope our listeners will stay with us. We have so much more to talk about. We'll be back after these messages.
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Biceps muscles are a characteristic part of the upper arm, and when they are strengthened, they become defined, hard, and strong. The Latin phrase for biceps muscle means two-headed muscle of the arm. The biceps crosses both the shoulder and elbow joints. Both heads arise on the scapula and join to form a single muscle belly, which is attached to the upper forearm. Because we use biceps muscles a lot in everyday use, they are usually one of the strongest muscles of your arm. Lifting weights and resistance exercises are the best ways to build the muscle, and there are a variety of biceps curls to choose from. You can do dumbbell curls, hammer curls, 21s, preacher curls, concentration curls, barbell curls, incline dumbbell curls, cable curls, and more. Be sure to include bicep curls in some form in your weightlifting routine for chiseled arms. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's words you never heard. Do you ever get nervous riding in an elevator because you're afraid the cable might snap? It's entered my mind more than once. According to Elevator World magazine, on the rare occasion a cable breaks, the car won't hunge plunge to the bottom. This is because elevators have as many as 10 cables holding them up, each capable of supporting a fully loaded car. Sometimes I feel a little mischievous in elevators. Next time you're feeling like a rapscallion, try one of these little jokes. When there's only one other person in the elevator, tap them on the shoulder and then pretend it wasn't you. Push one of the buttons and pretend it gave you a shock. Or maybe start a sing-along. What's a word for a person who thinks he's funny but no one else does? Vitzel suit. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So we're back. And before break, we were talking about a lot about meditation. And and I want to learn more about the book because the book shares with us 35 different meditation techniques. All have a different meaning and a different purpose. So Shai, share some of your research with us. Well, I think uh, that due to the overwhelming amount of uh, meditations that have uh, have flooded our uh, modern world ever since uh, the the Eastern philosophy and Eastern practice uh, have uh, have opened the gates uh, since the uh, mid-20th century, um, we need some some kind of of way to navigate this this map of of meditation. This is why I I found it necessary to divide the world of meditations meditation into seven seven purposes or seven um, dimensions. So. so the first group of meditation deals with with the ability to ground ourselves and to align our body and mind. These are meditations that help us to to align body, breathing, and consciousness, and to to relieve our existential tension. And this group of meditation, I think, this is is particularly beneficial for beginners 
because it helps you to work with your body to to transform some of your daily activities into meditative practices. In this group of meditations, you practice the well-known mindfulness of breathing and walking meditation. You simply learn how to walk. You, you talked about walking before. And also standing meditation. You learn how to stand in a way that becomes meditation. Or body scan, which is a way of observing your sensations, befriending your sensations uh, in a way that you no longer divide the pleasant and the unpleasant. And also sitting meditation, the way your posture becomes a meditation. So I think this is the most immediate access to the world of meditation. I think that you're right. That's a really good place to start. And I use breathing with a lot of my clients as a way to help them focus because it to really breathe in that optimal breath range but from four to seven breaths a minute it takes a lot of focus and when you can calm that breath rate down then you can calm that heart rate down and then when you can get those two to dance together you've created heart rate variability and that certainly is a sign of inner wellness yes that that's really beautiful yes uh, the thing is that is that breathing is i would say is the most immediate connection that we have with reality, with the with the here and now. Because usually, from the perspective of meditation, we are mostly daydreaming because we are lost in thoughts and emotions rather than uh, simply um, being. So breathing enables us because it is the the constant connection that we have with the world around us breathing is is the the energy that or the the the, the air that we take from the world into our being and the, and then the the air that we exhale so this keeps us in a certain in a certain cycle of communication with the world around us, with reality rather than thoughts. And that certainly is uh, where we all want to be able to go, is it, to be in a place where we're at that inner state of wellness. So that's the first, you know, you, you mentioned there were seven different groups, categories. That's the first. What's the second? Yes, yes. Th then there is the, the group of meditations that... that is designed to awaken our joy of life. And this means that, that uh, uh, the unconditional joy of life, because the, our joy of life sometimes depends on, on certain stimuli, on certain, on certain experiences. And then it also wanes when, when we no longer are connected with this uh, uh, these particular experiences, or when uh, things become unpleasant, so there is a certain a certain quality of unconditional joy that also has a lot to do with what you mentioned just before the life force, because when we learn to work with our life force to enhance it, and to and to activate it in different ways, that is a tremendous key. 
Some of the meditations, for instance, uh, uh, include awakening our inner smile, the smile that we can find within our hearts despite the circumstances. And I love that, the inner mm, smile. That's the first time I've heard that. That, that. That's a Taoist meditation, yes. Yes, it's simply uh, visualizing or remembering uh, some, some ideal or irresistible smile, then, then transforming it into an essence or into, into pure energy and using it to move through our body, through the different organs and smiling into our organs, for instance, smiling into our heart. And this is, this is a healing meditation that Taoists use. That's great. That's something that personally I think I'm going to explore a little bit. Is that is there more detail about that in your book? Oh yes, it is it is in, it is described in great detail. Great. Every meditation has not only the, the, its description but also its 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 fully practical uh, instructions. That's that is really when you put it in just layman's language and make it easy to use that makes people, I think, a lot more comfortable to expand out. Mm. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think it, it also makes it exciting because then you begin to, to, to realize the, the range of meditations and perhaps you can finally become excited about experimenting with meditation. Sometimes I think we're perceiving meditation as a long-faced, serious uh, endeavor rather than a, an adventure, a journey into yourself. That's a good way to put it, because I do think that many people do think that, you know, it's something, I don't have an hour to sit down <laughs> and, and, and do this every day, or, or I, you know, they think that it is so much more overwhelming and encompassing than it really is, because if you can get up and dance or take a walk in the park and use that five or 10 minutes to reach that state, everybody can do that. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and then you are also beginning to realize that you can do so many surprising things in this, in this uh, uh, dedicated time. For instance, there is a practice called Mystic Rose. And Mystic Rose is a very uh, is a very unexpected form of meditation that that is also considered to be uh, some sort of spiritual therapy. You begin by by crying. I'm sorry. You begin by by, by laughing. You are finding your inner laughter. There is a, a sense just like just as we find we identify the the inner smile deep inside us that still exists despite all our traumas, all our uh, uh, blows and, uh, and difficulties and disappointments, we can also find a, a certain laughter. So we're beginning to evoke this laughter and to follow it until it becomes a, a, a cathartic laughter. Then this uh, is replaced with 15 minutes of, of crying. Here we find this, this uh, thread of tears that, well, that is always within us, as we know, 
we only need to to simply connect with some kind of uh, of pain or, or past disappointment or present disappointment and then we're beginning to softly to softly let the the tears flood us and all of these the these the because tears and laughter they are considered from a meditative perspective two complementary halves they complement each other they help us to actually transcend both tears and laughter and eventually reach a, a natural or effortless state of silence so we laugh then we cry then there is natural silence but it is the result of a certain cathartic process well you know it's interesting that you mentioned crying because for me crying is a way of connecting and i've heard a lot of people say that when they go to church they'll cry mm. and they feel like that that's their that's their way of connecting with the, the higher universe so tear when we say crying people think of sadness and listening to you crying i thought of joy oh that that that's wonderful yes i i agree that uh, there are tears of joy that uh, that actually can uh, can sometimes express our joy or our sense of the sacred or our sense of connectedness uh, more than more than laughter does yes yes well are there any other of those seven categories that you'd like to to mention to our listening group yes i think i think uh, uh, there there are two uh, uh, particularly interesting groups that uh, that uh, can appeal to appeal to uh, beginners one is the group that builds your presence and inner power this is an important an important uh, uh, dimension of meditation because this dimension helps you to cultivate your sense of true inner power and i think uh, especially in relation to to traumas very often life's experiences have made us feel so small so powerless and um here meditation helps to expand our sense of presence and to make us regain our our bigness so for instance one of the the meditations here that uh, that i i i really admire is mountain meditation in mountain meditation which uh, uh, comes from the world of of the mindfulness movement uh, developed by John Kabat-Zinn you are beginning to uh, you are visualizing a mountain in front of you with all the qualities of a mountain and we know what mountain uh, well <laughs> feels like if if we were mountains what would we be like we would be so unmovable so unshakable that that we we would be able to withstand all of life's ups and downs right so we are beginning to 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 hold this vision of ourselves as mountains and to bring these qualities into our presence so i think this is a very beautiful way to begin to feel our unshakable element 
I really like that, the mountain, because that's a mountain represents strength to me. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Indestructible strength, in, in, in a sense, something that, that, uh, that, that, uh, that can help us or can inspire us uh, to feel that there is something unshakable in us, even when we feel that uh, our world comes apart. This, I think, when, when our meditative capacity is actually tested in those moments when everything comes apart, can we feel that part that doesn't come apart? You see, that part that, that is still, that, that has a certain center or core uh, to which the circumstances cannot reach. Or I always know that my inner core is, even on a physical level, my inner core is what keeps me, that helps me to get up and be able to have balance and move around. And on a mental and emotional level, our inner core is what kind of holds us together. Yes, yes, because it's just like, uh, yes, uh, having a center or being completely shaped by circumstances. That's the thing. And sometimes where because we don't know this sense of core, we are beginning to, to create a certain psychological haven or a certain world of fantasy within our, within our thoughts and within our emotions. Some, somewhere, somewhere we can escape to when things become too hard. Now, the thing with this kind of fantasy world or an inner haven is that it is still made up. It, it is not, it doesn't have this uh, uh, profound strength that meditation can give you. Just out of curiosity, how long have you been meditating? <laughs> well, I, I would say uh, since uh, 1988. 1998, yes, which means 24 or even more, yes, 20, 25 or 26 years, yes. That's a long time. Was that how did how did you evolve into that? What what prompted you to start? Well, I would say it's uh, th these were two. There were two factors. One, I remember very clearly clearly that one night. I sat with a friend, with a very close friend. It was a social uh, meeting and we had a completely trustful connection. And still I, I felt this kind of tremendous tension in my knees. And I thought to myself, how come that even in the presence of someone, someone uh, 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 who I love and, and someone who I feel so, so relaxed with, I still feel so tense. So that I think uh, I think initiated a, a certain search in me to find that that key to to fearlessness and relaxation. So that was so that was a psychological trigger. The other trigger was simply completely unexplained. I just read certain texts of Zen Buddhism and uh, and uh, perhaps if you know Jiddu Krishnamurti and, and just reading these words uh, 
prompt me to to begin my search and I, and then I visited India searching for masters for all kinds of gurus that was the beginning well you've certainly taken it and and built on it for everybody's benefit and you know when when you were talking about what the your for how you got into it what i was thinking is is what got him tensed up was it the emotion yes well i i think i think it was a certain self image i was trying to impress him i was trying to be someone to become someone rather than rather than simply be what we can learn from some of our weakest moments will serve us well and what i find with people that do with emotion it can be so limiting it can be create such barriers for people have you used meditation to help people work through those emotions yes uh, i think that the one interesting thing to to tell you about is uh, is a certain meditation technique that 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 i developed years ago actually 13 years ago and it appears in the book as one of the 35 meditation techniques and i know this is not considered a classical technique of course because it's it's very new and still uh, i i was happy to 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 share it with the readers and and this meditation involves also um, a, a certain therapeutic process because it is all about a direct expansion expansion of our consciousness in a way that that if uses certain emotions whether positive or negative in order to expand our consciousness so we're actually beginning with with the very sense of tightness or the very sense of contraction that is inherent in a certain emotion that we have we can even experience extreme sadness and use it in a transformative way as a springboard to meditation well i think that that there's so much that emotion can be a springboard for we've only got about 6 minutes left and i'd like for you to share with our listeners what you think the most important takeaways for them would be i'd say that that if we understand that meditation is an a natural state is returning to a natural state rather than one another form of doing another duty another chore that that we should fulfill then perhaps we can begin to fall in love with the process of meditation That's a great that is a great thought and I love fall in love with meditation because we all have physical issues we have mental issues and if we have the power within ourselves to heal ourselves how freeing is that Yes I think this is this is the greatest realization 
of meditation is that we have the power. We have the power. We have simply lost this power. I call this the, the, the law of attention. The law of attention actually tells us that, that because we, we have forgotten that there is a certain gap between our suffering-inducing thoughts and our mind, our consciousness, our awareness, we have lost the sense of, of, of choice. We feel that we no longer have choice. We simply become immediately attached to these to this, uh, mi misery-causing thoughts. But if we are able to, to begin to reside in this, in this gap and to widen it, this is where we are beginning to realize that we have the greatest power in the whole universe, and that is the power of our attention. We have the choice of whether to direct our attention to a certain thought or emotion or to move away from it, leave it behind, and to choose something else to identify with, to give meaning to. That is a great thought to leave people with. We've got about three minutes left. And for people <laughs> that want to learn more about you, I know you have a website. They want to, do you have YouTube? It's a book on Amazon. Please share with the audience where they can find you. Well, I think the, the two easiest ways are my personal website, which is shytubali.com. And the other way is, is the free videos that exist in abundance in the, uh, uh, on my YouTube channel. Uh, there, I think there are not only guided meditations, but also uh, certain answers that I give in relation to how we can integrate meditation or the meditative spirit into our daily challenges. That's great. And is the book out yet? Is it on Amazon? It is out. Yes. Yes. And they can find that on Amazon. Definitely. Yes. Okay. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking with you. And, you know, I wondered, and, and I know we're almost out of time, but I wondered if you were talking to doctors or teaching this in, as a class, would, it, would you have had a different conversation than we had today? Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. And, and I do have uh, forms of professional training in which I do speak to, uh, to, um, me to uh, medical doctors, to therapists, to psychologists, and this uh, uh, requires a completely different language and completely different depth of discussion, of course. Well, I appreciate what you shared with our listeners today and with me as well. And I love some of the words, that inner smile and falling in love with meditation. It just has such positive, embracing, nurturing energy that really mm. inspires me to want to do it instead of being afraid that I won't be able to or being afraid that I won't have the time. So, Shai, I thank you so much. You've given us so much to reflect on and so much to look forward to in the future if we just start to reach out and let that energy into our own heart. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you.
Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Thank you.